Hello and welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast. My name is Ryan Walker and with me is the Sports Grad Workforce Manager, Ruben Williams. How are you, mate? Uh, thank you very much, Ryan. I'm fantastic. It's a pleasure to be potting with you as always. I'm very excited for today's guest. Uh, you know me well enough to know that the FIFA World Cup is my pinnacle of sport. Mm. It's what I uh, absolutely love. For 20 years, I've tried to get to a World Cup, finally made it in Russia. It was the best experience of my life. So to be talking with someone from the FIFA Women's World Cup, yep. which is happening in Australia, New Zealand, 2023, uh, is phenomenal. So I'm, I can't be more excited about this episode today, Ryan. Yeah, no, it is a very exciting episode. So let's crack in, my friend. Uh, but we can't start without a little word from our good friends at Deakin University where every single course is backed by industry experts. So you can be confident that you'll get the job you want with a degree that employers want. Deakin University, progressive real world learning. This show would not also be possible without our good friends from Sports Where I Am. Give yourself a memorable summer by heading to sportswhereiam.com and check out all the events that they have on their website. Plus you can get 5% off your tickets when you use the code sportsgrad. If you want to learn more about who we are or want to ask us any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. You can find a link to do so in the show notes. Rubinho, who do we have on today? Ryan, I mentioned I'm extremely excited about today's guest. We're chatting with Hayam Katrib, the head of workforce at the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup. Now, this is Hayam's first FIFA event, but her background as a workforce manager started way back at the Sydney Olympics. After she made the change from being a classroom teacher of all professions, and then since doing Sydney, she's gone on to work at Athens and Salt Lake City and Torino and, and Sochi. These, these are all Olympic Games for those who aren't aware. But she's got a massive career uh, in the Olympic space. So to have her on today uh, is extremely exciting. It is extremely exciting. So what did you love about it? Well, Ryan, I love just learning about all the steps involved to staff the FIFA Women's World Cup. She's, you know, put out some pretty huge numbers in terms of how many volunteers they need, how many management staff they need. And she walked us through the complete end-to-end process of how they recruit and staff all these roles and what sort of timing um, they need people at certain time. And so this is, becomes incredibly useful if you want to work at the World Cup to see where you might fit into the picture. Yeah, absolutely. I, I loved how she spoke about just the behind the scenes roles that to really deliver a World Cup that you just wouldn't even know about or, or just the tasks that people have to do at ungodly hours of the morning. It was quite interesting to hear. So, you know, it, it's great for those listening who, again, want to work in the World Cup. You, you can kind of figure out where, you know, you might, might fit in there and what role you might be suited to if uh, if you're good at you know, putting up signage at 2am in the morning, this might be perfect <laughs> for you. I won't give any more away, but that may be included in the podcast. But I love that part of uh, part of our chat. Yeah, absolutely. If you're not sure what job you want, this will open your eyes. And finally, what will also open your eyes are the roles that get you closest to the players. We, we had to ask this, Ryan. We're a bit of nuffies deep down at heart. Mm. So we wanted to know what gets you actually involved closest to the action. So stick around and, you know, you can start to set your sights on some of those roles too. Absolutely. Well, let's get cracking. Grab a pen. Enjoy this chat with Hayam Katrib.
Hayam, welcome to the Sports Grade podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Hi, I'm really keen to dive into your journey today. It's quite an incredible one. I understand you've started out as a teacher and then you've made a career change to work at just about every single Olympics bar Tokyo. And now you're at the Women's FIFA World Cup as the head of uh, head of workforce. Can you um, talk to us a bit about how you got to this point? Uh, it's It's been an interesting journey, actually. I, I was enjoying teaching, I, I won't lie. Uh, but I took a summer holiday job doing events uh, and it just happened I had a HR background as well and the workforce manager that I was working with uh, took me under her wing and just started teaching me everything she was doing and got me to help her with the deployment of the staff each weekend because I then continued. I was enjoying it so much I continued doing it on my weekends. Uh, And then next thing you know, I was being offered a job with the Sydney Olympics to uh, be the workforce manager for the spectator services division. And of course, I was enjoying it so much, I jumped at the chance, who wouldn't, Sydney Olympics? Uh, and I've never looked back, to be honest. It's I do some days wonder what my life would have been like if I was still teaching, but um, it, it's been a wonderful journey since then. Mind you, I, I didn't do the 2008 uh, Ch- China Olympics, Beijing. the Beijing Olympics. Mm. Yeah, I was doing uh, World Youth Day in Sydney instead, which was the Pope's visit. Uh, and yeah, didn't do Tokyo, which broke my heart watching it on TV. But uh, I I have worked on the recent Beijing Olympics for the Winter Olympics that are coming up in 2022. Uh, but it will break my heart not being there as well and, and working with the colleagues and friends that I made there. So so who, who was that person from the Sydney Olympics that brought you across and how did you meet them? Uh, she was my boss, actually. So, uh, so it was a woman called Caroline, and I really enjoyed working with her. I was uh, I was the event management staff out at Sydney Olympic Park, while uh, before it became uh, the actual Olympic Park, and, and she was absolutely wonderful. I really enjoyed working with her, and then she was leaving, so she kind of trained me up to do her job. But instead of staying out at Sydney Olympic Park, the we I was actually working for an American company without actually realizing it. So they they owned part of the contract that delivered the spectator services division, uh, and it was their workforce, the head of workforce with them that was liaising with Caroline and noticed me, and then uh, approached me about working for her in Sokol, and of course jumped at the chance. Like I said, I was working for an American company who were contracted to do the spectator services division. Uh, they went on to do Salt Lake City, uh, Athens and Torino, and I continued working for them for, I think, oh, six years uh, and travelled the world oh. with them and then went independent after that. So, yeah, it's been fun. I can't complain. It's been a good life. It's a pretty good situation when your boss <laughs> trains you up to take their job, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it's a pretty, pretty good path into I, a job. I didn't realize it at the time. I just knew that we got on well. She just knew I had a HR background. I seemed to um, be doing well at the deployment piece, Uh, helped her prepare for the next weeks that were coming. And uh, I think, yeah, I was just really, really lucky. They just seemed to notice that it was something I was doing well and, and saw, I didn't even notice I was being, you know, watched or noticed, to be honest. It was just something I enjoyed doing and just did it. And then as it turns out, you know, the the heads of the American company had been watching and decided to take me on. So very lucky. 
Brilliant. So it's always great when you get get lost in a job that you enjoy doing. But um, yeah. how, how did the people at the school react when you told them, I'm leaving teaching to go follow the Olympics? <laughs> Just a minor change. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was told I wouldn't have my job back if I left uh, just because they couldn't hold it for me long enough. And, and, and I was warned there'll be unemployment after the Sydney Olympics. But, you know, when you just, I knew I loved it and I knew it was um, something I really wanted to do and it was the Sydney Olympics. So I took the chance and as it turns out, it was it was lucky. It's, um, I, I just continued, made some fantastic friends along the way, have done some amazing jobs along the way as well. Uh, look, I, I still will never forget the buzz of Sydney. It's and I, and I was in charge of the common domain area, which was the walkways between all the venues. And I remember there was a few days there where we just stood in amongst of a crowd of about 200,000 as all the venues emptied. And we were just standing there in amongst the crowd, just looking at this sea of people just approaching us as they were going into the um, into the train station and the bus terminals. And it was just looking at them going, we're doing this. Like, this mm. is what we do. It was It was amazing. Uh, and I look back at some of the stuff that I've done along the way, and I, I still to this day don't know how we managed it. Uh, you know, we hired 3,000 volunteers in a weekend uh, by doing this crash volunteer recruitment campaign. Uh, and we had every venue manager sitting there interviewing volunteers. It was like a speed dating um, or a speed recruitment of volunteers in one weekend. So we, you know, we, somehow we managed to do that. Somehow we got them trained. Somehow we got them accredited all within a month and then on venue. Um, the paid staff was exactly the same. We'd given up weekend after weekend just doing recruitment of about 800 paid staff for the for that area as well. But, you know, now I look back and it's like, I just don't even recall how we managed to pull that off and all the planning mm. that had to go into that and the logistics of, of getting that, that recruitment done. Um, I remember bits and pieces of the pain, you know, when people would turn up to the accreditation centre before they were meant to, and we hadn't data entered their information into the system yet. So I'd be sitting there frantically trying to get them in so we didn't keep them waiting too long. But, uh, you know, it, it was it was amazing. It was amazing what we pulled off and how much I learnt in that very small amount of time. Sounds like you got a real buzz, which is which is the yeah. main thing from from events. <laughs> I, I think that's the problem with events. You become an event junkie, really, don't you? You yeah. get a, addicted to the adrenaline mm, every yeah. time. I say never again, and here I am again, twenty years <laughs> later. What what did your life look like bouncing between Olympics? Would you like move into the host city for a couple of years and move to the next host city? I did that for a number of years. So I moved to um, Salt Lake City for one year. Athens for two, which was quite an adventure, wow. and Torino for a year and a half. Uh, so that was always fun. I think after my, because you'd have to set up a house, then you'd pack up a house. I think after packing the house in Torino, I was like, I'm never packing a house again. So <laughs> after that, it was, I'm happy to pack a suitcase, but just not a house. So now I'm happy to travel for extended periods of time. Uh, I think I did big stints in into uh, Vancouver for the Olympics there. So I'd, I'd travel and stay there for a few months at a time. Uh, I did other Olympics where I'd move for three months, but it's never been more than a suitcase. So I, I can live with that. Love it. So um, how, how does your position in workforce differ from, say, your counterpart in HR? So workforce mostly looks after the planning of the staff during the event. So we do a lot of the planning, how many uh staff are required, 
where they'll be deployed, who they work for, etc. And we do a lot of the scheduling for the event time, whereas HR tends to look after uh, the recruitment piece of it, how we get the people, uh, the HR elements such as the policies, the procedures, the, uh, the leave. For FIFA Women's World Cup, HR actually sits with workforce. So I'm the head of workforce, but I'm also in charge of the HR division. Uh, so for us at the moment, we're looking at all the paid staff that we need for the planning phase. And then our attention will move on to the paid staff that we will need during the event or the tournament um, come 2023. But we also uh, sit, like I also sit over the volunteer section. So uh, both the HR manager and the volunteer manager will report into me and I will look over the whole piece as a global uh, workforce planning. So it sounds like your role is kind of very project heavy. These are the things that we need to deliver a certain outcome. And then within that, HR kind of look after the the nitty gritty and day-to-day sort of operations. Does that sound kind of right? Uh, Kind of. I think for the moment, it's more, I'm looking after the overall project planning, as you said, you know, when we Mm. need to bring staff on, uh, what their roles will be, what that will look like. And then HR look at the recruitment piece, how we manage the recruitment when we recruit, uh, then we how we hire the people, the, what the contracts look like, uh, bringing them through the onboarding process, making sure they have the equipment they need, where they're going to sit in the office, etc. cetera, uh, what policies, their leave, uh, their payroll, etc. cetera. So that, all of that sits with, with HR, uh, but we work very, very closely together because obviously if we haven't done the planning as to who's being recruited when, then they don't have their, their project plan to work to, basically. So when you sit down to work out your, your workforce strategy for a project like the Women's World Cup or any of the Olympics, what are some of the first steps that you've taken and how does it um, support the, you know, the, the highest level of objectives for the tournament? So we have to look at what needs to be delivered and we have to work very, very closely with our our other departments. Uh, For example, I'm not going to be able to tell competitions how they deliver their sections. So we have to liaise with them, find out what their needs are, find out what it is they, well, they have to tell us what they have to deliver and the staffing requirements they need in order to deliver. Uh, And then, of course, that's all tied up with budgets because I'm sure people would come and tell us they need 100 staff just to do whatever it is they need. But then if we only have budget for 50, we then have to cut back and decide which 50 roles it is that we give them. Uh, So we work very closely with each department, determine what their needs are, determine what their structure looks like, and also which roles it is that they need and when they need those roles. Uh, And that we, we sort of depend on them to look at their project plan And then we work with them to say, okay, for example, we've just advertised for venue general managers because we know that we're going to need these people on the ground in February next year uh, for a number of different reasons. So we put them into our timelines as February starts. We then work backwards to say, okay, if we need them on the ground in February, when do we start advertising? We make sure we give ourselves leeway for uh, the recruitment time. We work with the FA to determine who it is that will screen the CVs. So we'll we'll do the screening originally, but then we give them um, a cold version. And then they tell us, okay, these are the people that we want to interview. Uh, And then we set up the interviews between the candidate and whoever it is that they say has to be in on those interviews. Uh, 
we help with those interviews. And then once a decision's been made as to who we hire, we then, our HR team then goes through and uh, does all the contracting, the offering, uh, like I said, the onboarding, and we get that person into the team. Uh, at the moment, we're looking, we've got a team of 50. Uh, we are about to grow to 279 by the end of next year. This, this is for the entire organising committee, not just your department? Yeah, yeah, the entire organising committee. So this is just uh, the planning phase. So this is to the end of yep. 2022. Uh, we will have 279 staff, 276 staff uh, wow. that we have to recruit and onboard. So that'll keep my HR division very, very busy. Uh, in the meantime, you know, things change, uh, plans change. Uh, the, the different functional areas or departments will decide that their needs have changed as well because right now we have a blueprint of what we need. So we have to meet with them and decide which changes are valid, which ones are within budget, which ones are acceptable, uh, which ones are doable, really. And then we have to adjust the blueprint to match those changes as well. Uh, so it is evolving, uh, but we have created a plan to start with. And we will just keep updating it as required, probably on a monthly or bi-monthly basis. So yeah. that yeah, so that's how we determine what yeah. is required for an event. And that's just pre-tournament time. Uh, we have to go through the whole thing for tournament time as well. So 2023 is a different planning phase that we go through. We've only just started re um, or very high-level conversations about what might be required at tournament time. And we've started a draft of what that might look like. And then I think next year, as we, as the ops team finalise operational plans, we'll be able to um, put more detail or more meat around those plans and we'll have, uh, and be able to fine tune it. So we'll have a better view of, of what the staffing plan for 2023 will look like. The it's a big year for the HR department coming up. It's. I don't think how many interviews are going to be taking place. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, yeah. I think I started counting how many interviews I sat on at one point and I, I just lost count. But it's it everything sort of tends to blur. People will be like, do you remember that candidate? And you'll be like, tell me a little bit more, Who's please. that again? <laughs> it's, uh, look, we sit in that many. Uh, it's, I think, for one role... I was talking to one of my staff just recently and she was saying for one particular role, I think she conducted 13 interviews, um, first round interviews. That's not even second wow. round interviews, just for that one role. Uh, that's not to mention how many CVs we have to screen, um, how many conversations we have to have to set the interviews up. Uh, yeah. You know, if, if I'm told that I need two particular managers in an interview, uh, sometimes it can take days, if not weeks, just to get a slot, a time slot where those two managers yeah. will be available. Mm. Um, so it's it's fun. It's, it can take forever. Yeah, what, it can. What, what's the average number of CVs coming in at the moment? <laughs> I'm going to say probably about 50 per role. It, it yep. can go yep. up to the 100 mark. Uh, but I, I want to say 50 per role is the average that we get. And these are like manager type positions that you're recruiting at the moment, at the moment or... yeah, there's a couple of recruit uh, coordinator positions, but the majority of them are senior manager and managers at the moment. Mm, awesome. So um, four major tournaments, what type of roles do you recruit the most of? Where it be <sighs> event managers, marketers, ops specialists? It, well, it Who's, what's the most which, common? Uh, yeah, well, I could tell you from the org chart, the ops team is probably the largest. Yeah. Um, 
and I would say probably they would be the ones that would have the majority of the planning at the moment. Uh, and, and that makes sense because we've got 10 venues across the two countries. So they have to have a, a manager and an assistant manager in, in each, of one, each of those venues. Uh, IT has a number of people in them as well. This is all pre-tournament time, mind you, just in the planning. Mm. When we go to event time, usually it's the spectator services and transports divisions that have the most event or tournament time roles attached to yeah. them. Uh, it's just because they do the wayfinding, they do the, the whole transport system, etc. cetera. Uh, I'm trying to think who else are the big ones. It's usually, and sports, sports always have a lot. Um, and I'm just referring back to my Olympic days. It was always sports spectator services and transport were always the huge ones and is sports is that literally the name of the department sports in, in the olympic cities uh in fifa it's the competitions division so mm. uh we don't have a sports division as such uh it's, it's the competition team that run it and i would say probably tournament time they will have one of the largest staffs as well Wow! Wow! wow. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's hilarious. It's... I think people, when you talk event management with someone, they just think it's all oh, this glamorous job where it's yeah. one person running this a big event. And I, to this day, I still think a lot of people don't know what I actually do. Uh, when you tell them, you know, you worked for the Olympics, it's like, oh yeah, but no one could actually tell you what what we do. Uh, but there's so many different people who work on these events. Or you know, you'll say I worked on Sydney Olympics. Oh, my friend worked on them. It's like yeah, them and a thousand others. Yeah. So yeah. there's a good chance I don't know who they are. Uh, but there's so many different roles that go into making one of these tournaments happen. Um, yeah. You know, it's there's so many in operations. There's IT, there's competitions, uh, there's services. You know, we're hiring people to take care of accommodation as well. Um, there's people who manage flights. Yeah. There's people who work in the background doing visa applications. Uh, logistics is another big one. Um, yeah, there's there's so many Crazy. different branches to this. Uh, mm. There's the people who do all the VIP and the marketing and uh, you have the commercial side of it, the sponsors. Um, the list goes on. And I'm sure uh, someone yeah. will get angry that I didn't mention them in all of this <laughs> yeah. as well. No, I think, and just during my time at Cricket Australia, like looking at what the events team had to do and, you know, you're across it in a way, but also when you actually ask them, like, oh, so what are you up to at the moment? And they are just going through, like, literally listing what, what you just said there, like, yeah. to the nitty-gritties, and you're just like, wow. Like, yeah. like that. they're probably the, busy, the busiest people like, in the yeah. whole organisation because of just how many layers there are to actually just putting on the cricket game. Like yeah. there's just so many things that you just wouldn't even know about. You, that they you just do. wouldn't. You you see this match on the field and you think, wow, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, just you people just, just rocked don't up realize, and played. Yeah, no. <laughs> someone someone has had to do the accreditation for all these people before they could even enter into the venue. Someone yeah. has had to drive them to the venue, and and behind that person driving them to the venue, there was someone organising the entire trip scenario. Yeah. Uh, and picking them up from the airport, someone's had to do the visas to get them into the country um you know it's the it's seating endless. the seating isn't just random like they're actually that's, it's like yeah, it's all it. mapped it's, yeah. it's all perfectly yeah. mapped and you're it's exactly incredible right. to and, say it happened and where it there's a pole so you, you know when you start talking to someone from ticketing you're talking about um seat blocks or, yeah. or view blocks so you know their whole ticketing arrangement has to be around that and then you've got you know people doing the sponsorship um so the signage you know 
people having to go in and cover um, signs because we're using a, a pre-existing venue that already has signs up, but they're not our sponsors. So all of mm. a sudden we're having to, you know, change all of that. I, I remember Salt Lake City the night before the opening ceremony in Salt Lake City, uh, we got signage at the last minute and we and it was wayfinding signage. So, you know, the crowds would not have known where to go to enter into the stadium if this signage wasn't up. And I remember going around with the spectator manager, I think it must have been like between 12, 12 midnight and 2, p, 2 a.m. in the morning. And we were literally putting up changes to signage because the because the, the flows had changed, you know, the day before. Yeah. So we had to go through and make sure all the signage was in place so that when the, the crowd started to arrive the next day, they weren't going to the wrong places. Goodness Crazy. me. The fun of it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the I, fun part. <laughs> I, I remember, so like I um, I was a team liaison officer for the New Zealand women's team during the T20 World Cup in Australia. And one of the most eye-opening things for me was the role of the accommodation manager. Yeah. Like every single hotel has got a dedicated staff to manage teams coming in, making sure they've got a team room, making sure they're getting the right meals, making sure, you know, all the dietary requirements has been looked after. And then the uh, the biggest one that kept tripping all the TLOs up was the laundry. Laundry just kept getting lost everywhere, no matter what hotel you went to. With all these teams coming in and out, no matter how many times you label the different bags, laundry just caused a massive yeah. headache. But this is the sort that. of stuff that you had no, no idea, idea about until you, it's, until you we, get in there. We have a saying that as long as it looks good on TV, it's a success. But no one, no one knows what goes on in the background. I, I remember in Sochi, um, I was walking past one of the, a bridge that they built for the, all the spectators and yep. it was dressed so beautifully. You know how you have all the signage and the, and the look elements all across, um, all across the, the stadiums and stuff. Well, this bridge was dressed so beautifully. And I remember thinking, that's an odd place to put um, the venue look. But it looked fantastic, and but of course I had I was sort of taking a shortcut, so I wasn't going across the bridge. I was going under the bridge and around, and of course why I noticed why that look was up it was because someone had obviously had to clear all the rubbish and and scaffolding and stuff from the from the the concourse area, and of course where did they put it under the bridge? So <laughs> of course it was covered up beautifully, so no one else could see it unless you yeah. happened to be walking, you know, taking that shortcut round the back. Uh, but I just sat there and I thought that is brilliant. Like that was yeah. one really good way to make it look fantastic and get rid of everything that shouldn't be seen and hide it away. So Great someone job. did that probably the night before. You wonder when you hear stories about people doing these kind of things at like 2am, like your story is there. It's like they're probably up the next day at five or oh, six to get going yeah. for the day and you're just like, how on earth? I, Do these people I, function with like it's, a couple it's hours? It's adrenaline. Sleep. I'm telling you, we're all junkies. So yeah. <laughs> we're all junkies. Uh, that particular day, Crazy I was events, up till, Yeah, that's what it is. I was up at two, I was up till two in the morning, and I think I had to be back on venue by ten in the morning, because uh, because like I said, we had the opening ceremony, so I had to literally be on venue checking in my first staff. Uh, so I want to say it was ten. I know for other opening ceremonies, I was there by seven in the morning. So I don't know. I might not have actually gone home that day. I can't remember beyond yeah. the 2 a.m. finish. <laughs> as well as pack um, your bag and stay at the stadium. At the bottom yeah, the bottom pretty thing. much. 
<laughs> Sleep yeah, in the stands. It, it is. Well, I've done that before. So um, <laughs> that was. Oh, that's Sydney. actually not a joke. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's Sydney, <laughs> Sydney Olympics, we um, they ended up giving us hotel rooms, which were. So I don't know if you know um, Sydney Olympic Park, but yeah, there's yeah. the old heritage buildings there. That was our office. Yeah. And mm. the hotel is literally right next door. So I ended up having to have a room in the hotel because I had to be there for the sign-off of the supervisors at 2 a.m. and back there for the sign-on of the 4 a.m. supervisors the next morning. So uh, I think there was one day I was... I, I slept in the office because um, I didn't have a hotel room at that point and there was no point. No. Uh, and I remember just getting into that solid sleep and the doorbell rings because one of the supervisors decided to come in early and I'm like, oh, oh, here we go. Of all days, so, yeah, chosen exactly. this time to get it the early. <laughs> so it was fun, but you just did it. It was, it was you were on such a high because it was so much fun um, that you just didn't care at the time. I, I don't think you can sustain it for more than two weeks though. Uh, Probably not a healthy lifestyle choice. <laughs> I'm probably too old for that now anyway, so it's all good. Well, one extreme period every couple of years sounds yeah. like a, a good balance. <laughs> yeah, it is a buzz. You know because you've done it before, but it, it is a buzz. And um, I, I think the fun that you have during these events is like nothing else. Uh, and, and you forget the pain that you went through and, yeah. and you find yourself coming back and doing it again. Yeah. <laughs> So, so what you touched on it briefly before, but what's like the the end to end process to recruit the thousands of people needed for a tournament? Uh, so first, it starts with the um, determining the demand. So the org structure, uh, determining the dates that the staff are needed. So creating that recruitment blueprint, basically, uh, and then what you have to do is look at where you advertise, how you advertise, creating the system to capture the applicants as well. Uh, so for us, we're using the FIFA.org um, system, which goes into an IT system called uh, SuccessFactors. So when people log into um, the FIFA.org site and apply for a job, we get it on the back end through SAP, and then we filter it through there. So we have to have a process in place on how we do the filtering, um, what questions we ask through the recruitment, uh, how we then screen them to determine who gets uh, to be seen in front of the uh, the managers and who doesn't. Uh, and then, so we come up with a whole list of priorities on what we're looking for in the candidates. Uh, then we have to book them in for interviews and get them in front of the managers for interviews, do second interviews as well uh, with the relevant people. Uh, once we do that, we have to do reference checks then we do the offers. Then we, uh, once the offer is accepted, we uh, create employment agreements, uh, contracts, uh, which we get the uh, applicant to sign. And from there, we take it as they're on board. So we then have to get the, all the personal information. So all the HR forms have to be filled out, like the tax file numbers. The fun stuff. Um, yeah, all the fun stuff, yeah. All the stuff you have to give to, uh, to HR when you first start a job. Which, which you then, don't really mind doing because it's like you've got a new job. You oh, know you're give me paid. any form yeah. you like. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do and, it. And it's also, if you don't give us that form, you're not getting paid. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm pretty yeah, handy to do it. Exactly. So, yeah. So we then take care of all those forms. We... Um, set up files for payroll, we set up files for IT, because uh, that then feeds things like we get them a uh, 
uh, an email address, a login. We get their IT equipment set up for them as well. Uh, at the moment, it's actually really weird because they don't come into the office. So everyone's working remotely. So now we're also having to make sure that we ship their phones and their computers to them at home in time for them to start. So it's, and then I onboard them. I do an onboarding session with them, um, you know, nine o'clock Sydney time on the first day. And it's just really strange. Yeah. Well, now I'm used to it, but originally it was strange because I'd set up an onboarding to have interactive pieces in there. And then you get to that slide where it's like, ah, turn, turn to the person beside you and do a quick welcome. <laughs> it's like, okay, we're not yeah. doing that today because right. we're not in a room. <laughs> Um, but it's look, we've managed it quite well, and people have adjusted like you'd never believe. So, I think uh, events people are very, very resilient, and we tend to take whatever gets thrown at us. So, I think people have really ad adapted to this changed environment quite well. Uh, there's been times where I've sat in meetings, and two people have been on the meetings, and one's turned to the other and said, "Oh, it's really nice to meet you." And I'm sitting, going, "Have you not met?" And they're like, no, I've never been in a meeting together. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay, that makes sense. So, yeah, so we do the onboarding, uh, then we get them onto the team. We then go through policies, procedures with them. We then talk about to them about what's required for hiring their team. Uh, and it just goes on and on and on with this uh, endless cycle of recruitment, really. Have you... um? This is a bit of a random question. Don't have to answer if you don't want. But have you ever got that wrong? Like you know, at, at the start, you said you've got to determine demand. Yeah. Have you ever got that oh, yeah. wrong in the it's... fact that you've got too many people and you're kind of like, well, what do we do? Yeah, it's yeah. I've thank God I've never had to have that problem. I wish I have, yeah. but I have seen <laughs> it in other events. I've seen yeah. it where uh, one department has people sitting around doing nothing. Uh, there's nothing more frustrating when you're a department that's being cut all the time uh, and then you look across at your colleagues in whichever department and they're sitting around having coffee um, and that's frustrating uh, but mm. it's not our fault obviously it it, it is going to happen yeah. um, look I think unfortunately in events you tend to be restricted by budget an awful lot so a lot of the time you won't have that issue I think uh, it was just one particular event, I won't say which one, but it was where we would look across and we would see a lot of people in another division that were just sitting around really relaxed, whereas we were working to the bone. So, um, yeah. And I, yeah. I, as I ask that, it's, it's kind of like you've got to look two years ahead and yeah. determine how many staff you're going to need. And, like, I can't really, like, if I it's think inevitable. two years it's ahead, inevitable. it's like, we will, I don't know, yeah. you know, like it's, it'd be quite hard to, to come we up with that number. We won't get the number exact. And it's, like I said before, it is changing regularly. Uh, and as the, as the plan builds out, we tend to see more. So we meet on a monthly or sometimes bi-monthly uh, basis where uh, we ask the different departments to tell us what changes they want to their org structure. Uh, and then they give us... Um, their arguments as to why they need them or uh, or what they propose, basically. And then we have to look at that and determine whether or not it is they're going to have too much staff and it's not necessary or whether, hey, this really is something that we need to adjust. Um, and like I said, usually there's a lot of financial constraints on it as well. Uh, we wish we could give everybody a number of staff, as many staff as they want to get the job done, but 
uh, unfortunately, it always comes with a cost. So we really do work hard to work with the teams to make sure they have what they need. Uh, and if it means we have to go back and revisit that number, revisit the titles, revisit the job description, yeah, that's something we do have to do. And we do it regularly at, yeah. at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> no, can't imagine. Um, so you mentioned before there's going to be 276 management staff, I think, and yeah. I believe there's going to be 5,000 volunteers uh, by the time that's the tournament the starts. Yeah. What is the best way that people can get involved? Uh, so at the moment, uh, I put up every role that we advertise as we as we open it for advertisement up on the FIFA Women's World Cup LinkedIn page. Uh, if if you can't find it, just look my uh, profile up and you'll see links to those jobs as well. Or visit fifa.com uh, and what you'll find is all of our roles are advertised on that. Uh, but like I said, I put them on fifa.com first, then I advertise them on our LinkedIn page. We also put them up on Seek and LinkedIn as we see required. So we try and get them out uh, into the public view as much as we can uh, and advertise them as much as we can. We also try and use our networks as well. So you'll, you know the events industry is very networked. So if I know there's a role going and I know that someone on the team has a lot of connections in that department, I'll ask them to post it as well and to reach out to their friends uh, and we just get the word out as quickly as we can. And then we get people to apply through FIFA.com. And then we get their applications through the success factors on the back end and assess it accordingly. Hi, I don't think I've met anyone who knows every single role back to front quite like you do. So I'm hoping <laughs> yeah, that is you're the best cool. person to, to answer these questions. But You'd be well aware in Australia over the next 10 or so years, you've got all these different events like the Men's T20 World Cup, the Women's Fever Basketball World Cup, the UCI World Championships, Netball's got a World Cup. I think rugby's got a bid in for a World Cup. And then to cap it off, there's the Brisbane Olympics in 2032. A lot of, or well, one question that a lot of people ask us who are outside of sport is what are the roles that actually exist within sport? So knowing what you know about the staff required uh, in tournaments i've got a couple of uh questions related to that that i hope you can help us with sure number one what roles are closest to the players <laughs> number two what roles work with the fans and number three what roles do the most good away from the matches they're good questions i like them actually i like that question um, roofs it's, yeah. it's one of your best so far i reckon uh, i like it <laughs> Um, look, to be closest to the players, I want to say it's mostly the ones on the field of play or the team liaison officers. So as you were one for uh, the cricket you mentioned. So I think the team liaison officers are the ones that really do uh, look after the team. So you're probably the closest to the team, but it will be all the technical or sporting officials that are on the field of play as well. Uh, you'll have medical there. You'll have uh, the scorers. Uh, you know, if, if you look back at the Tokyo Olympics, it was all those uh, little volunteers that were sitting on the sidelines uh, doing the technical roles, whether it's just uh, handing a particular piece of equipment to one of the athletes or, or whether it was just making sure they were, uh, you know, um, rallied up to the starting line in the right order, whatever it is. It's usually the technical officials and the, the volunteers on the field of play. Now, unfortunately, you probably do need a set skill set to be 
considered for those roles and and they probably are the most sought after roles so not the easiest to get into obviously um, the second question you asked me was the ones with the crowds yeah so right? working with the fans yep so working with the fans would definitely be the um, spectator services uh, so all the crowd finding uh, or the crowd or the spectator marshals basically so I think in the Olympics, you usually see them with those big um, foam fingers giving directions and with the megaphones uh, giving directions as well. So it would be them and I'd say the transport staff as well, the people getting them onto the trains or onto the buses, etc. cetera, uh, the ushers, the ticket takers, uh, all part of the, the spectator services experience. Uh, and, you know, they're the, we used to have a saying of, they're the first face you see and the last face you see as you enter the venue. So uh, they could potentially make or break your experience. Um, and then I reckon the, they'd be quite fun, those roles. You get they, to mix yeah. with the crowd when they're, they're all up and about. If the match has gone well, you yeah. see people at their happiest points. So. Megaphone out. You really do. Yeah, you do want to get the, the best ones. I remember in Sydney we used to have a team of four girls that used to do dance routines to the um, – to the music that was playing in the background oh, and fantastic. Oh, people would be taking their photos they were like celebrities like <laughs> it didn't really matter who was if we had a band playing up the other end people would just walk backwards and forwards to see this this group of volunteers so i mean they were naturals at the job is what i would say you get the quiet ones that don't want to talk um but yeah that's that's probably the ones that deal with the fans the most i would say so if you're in an interview, don't be afraid to bust out a few dance moves yeah. because that's going to be looked upon favourably. <laughs> exactly. I know exactly what position to put them in. Yeah. Uh, and then I'd say the ones that do the best work behind the scenes would be um, the hotel staff. Uh, they obviously have a very big job to make sure everything goes right there. You've got people who do uh, the IT. Uh, there's so many behind the scenes people that uh, no one really realizes. You've got all the accreditation people, like they, they're running background checks, they're processing um, accreditation for everyone that needs to get onto venue. You've got the ticketing staff that, you know, have to do so much planning to get the ticketing right. Uh, you've got all those people in the background for transport, making sure the buses are, you know, and the buses and the cars are in ship shape and they're, they're off deployed to wherever they need to be to pick the people up. Um, there's, there's so many behind-the-scenes groups that uh, uh, you, the event just wouldn't happen without them, basically. But they're just the ones that come to mind. Amazing. I just thought of a role that's really close to the players, the ball kids. Yes. Yeah, definitely. The ball kids. Um, it's the, well, the medical staff as well, you know, the people that are sitting there on the, the timers, the timekeepers. Yeah. Um, there's just anyone who is on that field of play and I hate to say it, even the press, but but mind you, we don't, um, they don't work for us, but they have mm. to go through our process to be on that field as well. Uh, the team, the press liaisons, um, there's so many. It's, yeah. yeah. It, I think it's you endless. could be a ball kid, but as an adult, that'd be quite the gig, I reckon. <laughs> I reckon if that was a volunteer position, you would get. <laughs> I reckon thousands of applications. I reckon, for that. I, I, reckon I probably 100%. would, to be honest. I might even put my name down for that yeah. one. <laughs> you can like actually impact the play. Like, yes. Mm, amazing. Yeah. Mm. All right. Uh, it well, would be a lot of fun for sure. Yeah. Last question for you. It's not quite as good as Rubes, uh, but I think it's all right. If you could swap roles with someone for one day, 
Who would it be? <laughs> oh, no, that is a good question. Um, that's a really tough one, I would say. But look, I'll be honest, I think the one that looks like they are having the most fun is the one that does that the DJ. So oh, yeah, yeah, you just don't think about it, but in I, the stadium. Yeah, the, the DJ in the stadium. So the one that mixes the music that gets played uh, over the PAs. I don't think I'd want to be the announcer because I hate the sound of my own voice, but <laughs> I, I would love to be the mixer of the music. And yeah. uh, there's there's been some venues that I've gone to where it is pumping and the crowd get right into it. And I, I think they set their atmosphere, to be honest. So yeah. I'd, I'd probably want to be a DJ for a day. I'd probably I not do a good job. That's a but, great call. Yeah. I, I met the announcer for the cricket once. I think his yeah. name's Glenn Hawke. He'd be great to get on the podcast. Uh, so if oh, you're listening, yeah. Glenn, you probably are listening, probably a loyal listener. Um, we'll get you on eventually. But that was actually cool. But I'm a little bit the same as you. Like, I don't really like the sound of my voice. So if I had his voice, it was actually quality. Oh, and I could yeah. li- you could listen to it all day. They, uh, yeah, they do a fantastic job too, though. Like you've to, just got to, to sit there and crowd. watch. Like you can't, there's there's no off time. It's literally, no, you're right. <laughs> you've got to be on. Yeah. So that would you're be right. quite a bit of pressure, but. And it seems to be a select um, music list as well because I always hear the same songs being played every Olympics as well. Mm. I love it. Like when you hear that song, you're like, yeah, I'm home. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm just imagining the planning session for the DJ thinking, all right, what song is going to fit well before the match? What's going to work well at halftime? What's going to work afterwards if we win? What about if we lose? I remember um, uh, I'm a massive Hawthorne supporter. And went to four preliminary finals at the MCG in four consecutive years. And at three-quarter time every single year, the DJ used to put on the instrumental version of Lose Yourself yes. by Eminem. <laughs> and it just set it's so good. the atmosphere yeah, for yeah. the final quarter every single time. And I think the combined margin of those four matches was about 10 points. And it just like, I wow. can still remember it so vividly. I love how the you other <laughs> <laughs> I've been See, thinking the same thing. It's that good. Yeah, <laughs> you don't think about it until you until you hear that song again, and you're like, "Oh, I remember this." Yeah. They do. They set the mood of the um of the whole stadium. The mm. the instrumental is a great tool because yeah. you know you know yeah. the song "Sweet Disposition" by Timber Trap. Yes, I love it. Mm. Yeah. They play that instrumental when the like batsmen are going out to to the center wicket at the cricket, and oh, I reckon that is awesome. epic as well. Yeah, something about There's... instrumental music. Yeah, yeah. There's amazing. there's one that they always play in the crowd, just and it always seems to be they seem it must just be like the music you play at that particular time. It's always as I'm walking through like a common domain area about to go to a venue, um, Miss Jackson. Oh, yeah. uh, oh yes. I don't know why that song because yeah. <laughs> but I heard it in the Sydney Olympics. I heard it in Salt Lake City. I heard it in Athens. Then I heard it again in Russia, of all places. Wow. So I just remember standing in the middle of this, you know, this concourse, going, "Oh, okay, here we go." There it is again. <laughs> <laughs> there it is again. Exactly. Um, yeah. There's there's some definite ones that they have on repeat, but they're brilliant. Mm. It's I wouldn't change anything they do because they really do set the mood. Mm. Yeah. 100%. The other one I'll never forget is uh, in 2005, back out at Homebush, Australia qualified for the World Cup for the first time in 32 years. Immediately after the game, John Aloisi is running around with his shirt off, spinning it in the air, and then land down under by men at work, started oh, playing. And streamers awesome. come from the from the top of the stadium and um, everyone's just a buzz and I'll, yeah, I'll never forget that song at, at that moment. Yeah, I don't know how they do what they do, but they do it so well. 
It's amazing mm. how we yeah. just associate sporting moments with the song that was playing at the time. Yeah. It's actually, it'll, it's it's quite cool. In yeah. a lot of ways, the DJ's got the most important job. You will. Sure. There you go. You would never think about it. We take it for granted. <laughs> yeah. We need to I get noticed. a DJ on here. We yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm definitely going to listen to that podcast. Absolutely. Get <laughs> I might the help you with some of the questions. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, oh, no, that's awesome. Um, well, we'll leave it there, Hyam, but it has been amazing talking to you. I, I honestly think we could probably talk just general sport for another few hours, but uh, we know that you are busy, so we'll let you go. But um, just hearing about your role and how you staff the, the Women's World Cup, but also just major events in general has been a, a real eye-opener and really appreciate you coming into it to explain that to our listeners and us. I'm sure we've learned a lot, Rubes. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's been great talking to you. So good luck for the next couple of years of planning. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've had a lot of fun and it just um, reminds me why I do love events. So thank you. All righty, Rubes. Well, that was an unreal chat with Hiam. I thought just getting that insight around building a workforce to deliver the FIFA Women's World Cup was really interesting to hear and some things that I just did not expect, but the depth of her knowledge on how to deliver events is uh, is quite crazy. So what did you love about it? Ryan, I loved that all these people go from event to event, know each other extremely well, and you get to know each other extremely well when you work on something as intensely as a major tournament. But those roles that go from event to event, they get given to people who have done before and can trust people who have done them before. So if you want to work in major tournaments, you've got to find a way to get within those circles and start to network your way into those roles. Like, for example, I told Hiam that I had done a TLO role with the Women's World Cup. And afterwards, she said, look, there's going to be more TLO roles coming up soon. So, um, you know, this is a great example of just how we've been able to network network with her today. So if you are interested in major tournaments, once you get your foot in, you're then in the door and you can network your way from Olympic Games to FIFA World Cup to whatever else takes your fancy. Absolutely. She she mentioned at the end there around roles that require uh, specific skills, and she was talking about the roles that are closest to the players. Uh, and, you know, what that shows is, you know, if you want to work at a World Cup, say, and you want to, you know, work closely to the players, you're going to need to learn some of those specific skills to get there. There's some absolutely unreal events in Australia in the coming years. I think there's a, you know, basketball world chances, netball. There's an Olympic Games in 2032. So time is on your side. So if you want to get into that, start to find out what those skills are. Uh, Go and chat to the people in those roles and figure out exactly what they do. So you've got the next few years to to level up and and get those skills so you can be front and centre when those roles come up. I'm going to be practicing my DJ skills so I can be there at the Gabba for the opening ceremony playing yeah. tunes, I think. I'm going to be practicing my announcer skills. <laughs> I think that might suit me uh, in the future, mm. but we'll see. Mm. Finally, the last point, Ryan, is just head to LinkedIn or the FIFA website or our Sports Grand membership where we're going to be sharing all the roles that are coming through for the FIFA Women's World Cup so you can see when they come available. Uh, if you want to become a member, head to our website, sportsguard.com forward slash membership. There's a link in the show notes to check that out. And great to see so many of our members out there at the moment 
finding jobs in the industry. Amazing, mate. Well, be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn. We'd love to chat with you on there. You can find a link, as Ruben mentioned, in the show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.